First You Think is a not-for-profit ministry of the First Unitarian Church of Des Moines. Support us at ucdsm.org today. Our first reading is adapted from Getting in the Christmas Spirit by UU Minister Reverend Dr. Lynn Unger. The Christmas story is much more than just the birth of a baby in Bethlehem. It is full of characters who each have their own story. It begins first with the story of Mary, who is visited by an angel who not only tells her she will have a baby, but that she will bear the child of God. And if that news isn't surprising enough, Joseph agrees to stay with her after having also been told of the miracle birth to come. Their stories merge, and when Mary is great with child, they travel a great distance to sign themselves onto a government registry. They finally find shelter in a stable full of animals where they soon greet the arrival of the long-awaited birth of Jesus. Announcing the birth of a baby always elicits feelings of excitement, wonder, joy, and love. This is the part of Mary and Joseph's story that is the most relatable, the excitement felt by new parents. As one of our familiar hymns says, each night a child is born is a holy night. This reminds us of the universal love we feel for the birth of every child. We honor and celebrate all the lives of the children in our own congregation through dedication services and RE programs led and mentored by loving and caring adult volunteers. Unitarian Universalist theology tells us that we are a part of an interconnected web of creation related to and in relationship with each thread of creation. We are all connected. The French carol, Bring a Torch, Jeanette Isabella, beautifully expresses this excitement and wonder. Two shepherdesses, Jeanette and Isabella, excited at finding the baby in the stable, are urged to bring torches. Torches remain a Christmas tradition in Provence where the carol originated. Each year to this day, children dress up as shepherds and milkmaids carrying torches and candles to midnight mass while singing this carol. Story of the wise men. The visitors from the east trusted that there was something out there worth looking for and followed a star to find the baby prophesied to be the newly born king of the Jews. These wise men, who didn't really get that this was a totally different kind of king, brought him presents fit for the kind of king they understood, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And to their credit, they didn't walk off in disgust and bewilderment when what they had sought for so long turned out to be a baby born in a lowly stable with only the kind of power that babies have, not the power of a future king. They instead faithfully followed a message received from God and journeyed home by a different route, refusing to inform King Herod of the baby's whereabouts. Then there's the fragile King Herod, who upon hearing of Jesus' birth ordered the slaughter of innocents because he couldn't handle the prospect of a threat to his own power. The story which dares to imagine the nature of the newborn king to be something very different from the despotic Herod tells us instead 
about a sort of king who aligns himself with the poor and the outcast, with a power utterly unlike the kind of power that the crowned kings tried to grab and maintain at all costs. Reverend Unger continues, it's the story of the shepherds, though, that has always been my favorite, partly because I have always found it hilarious. I mean, really. Here's these ordinary guys doing the most ordinary things, just out on the job, keeping an eye on what needs to be watched. They're sheep. And suddenly the sky is full of angels. And Luke tells us right in the text that they were terrified. Who wouldn't be? It's all completely absurd and unbelievable, and no one in their right mind would have the faintest idea of how to respond. Any reasonable person would conclude that the sky was falling and hunker down. But these guys, these plain, ordinary guys, get their sheep together and go out to look. <laughs> I know, I laughed every time I read it. Get their sheep together and go out to look for a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Think about that for a minute. Swaddling clothes are what everybody in those days wrapped their babies in. It's like saying, you will recognize the sign when you see a baby in a onesie. <laughs> but these dudes were like, okay, sure, fine. Let's go see what they're talking about. This is the true spirit of Christmas. When the spirit is willing to be amazed and curious and brave enough to say, let's go see, even when the instructions aren't very clear and you don't know the road. So what is your story? What would catch your attention and make you curious enough to go see? The Christmas story is really more than a nativity story. It is a much larger story about the transformational power of love, as depicted in the symbol of a tiny newborn who grows up to become not a powerful king, but a simple poor rabbi who lived and taught the message of unconditional love to all, the man who never intended to found a new religion, but instead to live his life teaching one central message, how to love one another. It is this transformational power that lies inside a defenseless baby, inside you and inside me. Here is the poem, A Gift from God, by John Reed. Love can't be described. It has no shape. It has no form. Love is not an object. Love does not conform. Love enters our lives the moment we are born. From the cradle to the grave, love's in everyone. Love burns like a candle that sometimes flickers but never dies. Love may be invisible, although it's right before your eyes. Love can you leave you empty, and love can make you whole. Love can make or break you. Love is in your soul. Love is in your heart. Love is in your mind. Love doesn't discriminate. Love is always blind. Love is universal. It encompasses the globe. No matter where you are, love has a language all its own. Love is all around you. There's plenty of love to spare.
You cannot see or touch it, but love is everywhere. Love's the greatest power, and yet it is so small. Love's a gift from God to be shared amongst us all. Our next reading is excerpts from Living by Love by Reverend Amy Zucker Morgenstern. You don't have to be Christian to admire this ancient and beautiful religion and wish to learn from its wisdom. And that wisdom has a simple core, above all else, before all else. Shining out through all the accretions of 20 centuries is the central teaching of Jesus. Whatever we do, we should be motivated by love and act in love. What might it look like when we are motivated solely by love? Our universalist forebears sought to answer that question. They, like all the people sitting in Calvinist congregations in the early decades of U.S. history, heard week after week that most of us are headed for punishment, doomed to hell and deserving of it. There is indeed a tension in religion that I think this doctrine was trying to address. A tension between love and justice. Will good be rewarded and evil punished? It sure doesn't look like that gets sorted out in this life. Instead, as it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, the rain falls on the good and bad alike, and the sun shines on us all. Maybe a reasonable outrage at this failure of justice led to the invention of hell as a place where things would finally be fair. However, early universalists uninvented hell. They put love first. They believed that God loves us and would not condemn us to eternal punishment. They believed that we should do what is right, not out of fear of punishment, but rather out of unconditional love, such as one feels for a newborn baby. The love of God and the love of each other, that is Jesus' teaching. Right there in our universalist ancestors who describe that love embraces us all, both the good and the evildoers. According to them, hell does exist, but only in this world. We make our own heaven and hell, and we make other people's too. Doreau Farrar, the music director at First Unitarian Church of Portland, Oregon, writes, I believe that every person is created in the image of God, born a replica of divinity. Some people call it the God within. Others refer to it as inherent worth and dignity of every person. Whatever words make sense to us, we all have it. We invoke the spirit of it for ourselves and for others when we see any number of injustices occurring. But when do we ever turn it back on ourselves and question our own habits of squandering our divinity and wasting our capacity to be holy? I'm not necessarily talking about the big gesture stuff, like rallying against white supremacy or tutoring underprivileged children. I'm talking about how we behave in committee meetings or how we respond to change we don't like or how we think and talk about those with values different from our own. Living up to my sacred identity is hard. 
It means confessing that I have prioritized my own happiness at the expense of others. It means recognizing that my perspective is no more important than anyone else's. It means being good to those I don't think deserve it. It means remembering that every time I fail to choose grace or goodness or peace, I am thoughtlessly squandering my divinity. Here is my prayer. That which is in us and all around us and which constantly draws us to our holiest selves, please never stop. Even in those tiny moments when I feel emboldened by my own righteousness, bring me back to godliness and grace. Transform my way of being so that I will see the heart, humanity, and divinity in all and respond in kind. In today's chaotic climate of division, hate, and violence, what the world needs now is not just love, but more love. Retired conservative judge Michael Ludig spoke recently about our country's current political state of affairs and said the country has lost its moral compass. He predicts it will take decades to repair the damage done to our democracy, but even he remains hopeful. The Christmas story offers unexpected hope for renewal and transformation in uncertain future. It reminds us each year that the lesson and power of unconditional love needed to transform the world lives inside each of us. More love, the heavens are blessing. More love, the angels are calling. We'll plant it and sow it and every day grow it. The angels are calling more love. Winter Solstice by Rebecca Ann Parker. Perhaps for a moment, the typewriters will stop clicking, the wheels stop rolling, the computers desist from computing. And a hush will fall over the city for an instant in the stillness. The chiming of the celestial spheres will be heard as earth hangs poised in the crystalline darkness and then gracefully tilts. Let there be a season when holiness is heard and the splendor of living is revealed. Stunned to stillness by beauty, we remember who we are and why we are here. There are inexplicable mysteries. We are not alone. In the universe, there moves a wild one whose gestures alter Earth's axis toward love. In the immense darkness, everything spins with joy. The cosmos enfolds us. We are caught in a web of starts. Cradled in a swaying embrace, rocked by the holy night, babes of the universe. Let this be the time we wake to life, like spring wakes in the moment of winter solstice. 
Begin your transformation this Christmas by reaching out in love to your family, a friend, or a stranger. You will find more peace and joy than you ever expected. Something's moving deep in my heart. Chains of hatred are breaking apart. Love will show us how to make a new start. O Lord, glory, hallelujah. Love is going to set us free.